Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander, and this is Majority 54, the podcast that helps Americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority. This is like the emergency pod of all emergency pods, I guess, because it we decided to record this um, while we were all watching in terror as... Uh, People were storming the Capitol today. Um, it is currently 4.22 p.m. Central on Wednesday, January 6th. Uh, I'm here. Ravi is here. And uh, we've asked our producer, Grace, to be on air with us, Grace Lynch. So, um, hi, everybody. I don't even know how to start this. Yeah, it's hard to know how to start a podcast that's responding to an insurrection. It's I don't think that that's something we should know how to do. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm kind of glad we don't know how to do that. Uh, I also hope we don't have to do it again. Um, so I'll just start with something I was thinking about earlier. I was thinking about you know, what would I do if I genuinely believed that the country had been taken over uh, unlawfully by somebody who you know had done it in a completely fraudulent way, had stolen an election. If if I believed that to be the case, a hundred percent, and I believe that all other legal uh, and political avenues for trying to uh, you know save American democracy, if I had that view, if I if I had accepted all those facts up to that point, uh, if those had all been exhausted, what would I do? And I I think it's possible in that situation I might. I guess I might do something like this. I'm not in any way saying that there's anything okay about any of this. I mean, I, for the record, like I obviously condemn all of it. What I'm saying is I think we have to really be cognizant of the fact that um, there's a bunch of politicians, obviously the president, but others, and we'll get into it, who I I think t- clearly have taken too lightly the responsibility that they have here. Um, and they've they've made people believe this and People are responding in a way that is not unexpected. Yeah, Jason, I'm, I'm happy you brought that up because while this was taking place and I was watching the news unfold, I did think back to a few weeks ago where we did say on the show, you know, do people even really believe this? Because if we did, we would be taking to the streets and we're not seeing that happening. So that thought also had echoed in my mind while I was watching this unfold that we'd actually suggested as much. And to me, what this is showing is that it, this is very real and that the political theater that so many of our leaders have partaken in over the last four years, but particularly in the last few months following this election, is taken seriously by the public as it should be. And that it's, to me, it kind of shows the elitist 
you know, media class divide of people assuming, oh, like everyone knows that we're just politicking or posturing. It's like, no, not everyone knows that. Not everyone knows that Ted Cruz doesn't actually believe what he's saying. Yeah. Like this shit's not a game. Mm -mm. Ravi, go ahead. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I kept thinking to myself that this is the culmination of the politics that majority 54 listeners experience every day. And when we get these alarmed voicemails and messages from people who are just saying, hey, you know, scary things are happening at my kitchen table and my Thanksgiving table and amongst my friends. Uh, and that, you know, we're constantly being told that everything's going to be okay. Uh, I thought that the most important symbolic moment of the day was when Trump protesters were attempting to pull down the American flag and put a Trump flag up in front of the Capitol. And I think that says it all. That is what this, this movement is about. It's not about America. It's a personality cult. And uh, as much as the mission of this podcast and, and my personal mission has been trying to understand the other side, like obviously our last two episodes were with Republicans, one uh, who's Trump voter, the other uh, who's a very strong conservative. We're doing a lot to understand the other side. This is a moment where I really didn't want to understand the other side. I just wanted to defeat them. Uh, and I kept looking at this protest and, and talking to friends of mine who are Trump supporters and losing my cool in a way that I haven't in a while where I'm just pissed that on this day that we're supposed to be celebrating our victory in Georgia and the culmination of the election uh, through the certification of electoral college results that we have a hissy fit uh, that has turned into a violent insurrection in front of the Capitol. And it's just not OK. Uh, and we can't let this slow us down. Well, and I think it's important to remember that this is not the other side, right? I mean, this is this is not the other side like Al-Qaeda is not the other side, right? This this is this is terrorism, right? Now, there are people within the other side, like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, and obviously the president, who are fanning the flames of this and sort of, you know, wanting to be a part of it. But like people who are descending on the Capitol, like that's, this is terrorism. And so I just want to be, I don't think we ever feel like we need to understand these people. Although I think like, without in any way condoning it at all. Like, I think we do understand. I think that the people yeah. doing this think they think that the stuff they're being told is reality. And so to me, it's like, look, we know Trump is a irredeemable sociopath who would, who would sacrifice, you know, many, if not all American lives in order to advance himself, even the slightest bit. Like we know that we've known that a while. It doesn't excuse it. We've just, we've just known it. It's baked into our understanding of reality at the moment. But people like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley are people who I think looked at this and went, ah, it's not a big deal. I'll, you know, I'm going to score some points on this. And they think it's a game and it's not a game. To me, it feels like, you know, this isn't, this is a culmination of the last four years. I think I, I saw a tweet that said, you know, well, that escalated steadily over four years. You know, like this, <laughs> right. the, like we, we should not and cannot be shocked by something that has been threatened and encouraged and built upon for the, the entirety of the Trump administration. But even before that, with the Tea Party movement, we've really seen this radical turn. And I think that because Republicans who may not have prescribed to that ideology in its entirety benefited from an engaged base, they allowed it to continue and now it has escalated beyond their control and this is now when they're like whoa 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 this is too far but 
to call it at this is now too far when there's been so many signs of an event like this taking place, so many other incidences that have echoes of this over the last several years, it just feels like these calls for, you know, violence isn't the answer. It's just too little, too late. You know, you have fanned the flames of this for so long and benefited from this rage. And it's also such bullshit, right? It's such check the box bullshit. Like Trump's statement is, yeah, it was stolen from us. We want it in a land. I mean, he just lie, 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 lie. All of these things that if they're true, if they were true, the only logical conclusion is you have to take action. And then he ends it with, you know, but go home, be peaceful. And and there's nobody watching that who agrees with him or disagrees with him who doesn't reach the same conclusion, which is obviously he doesn't want anybody to go home and be peaceful. Right. So, yeah, like, 100 percent. Ravi, you and I have been very uh, we've danced around the edges of Josh Hawley for since July. And people don't really realize yeah. why. Let's we do should, it. Let's just go for it. Yeah, we should talk it. about this. Like, <laughs> like. You know, you you went to law school with him, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll explain. And I, I've been hesitant to go there uh, because, you know, Josh was always nice to my mother. Uh, just for listeners, a lot of Missouri listeners out there and Americans now, he's, he's become a household name. I used to have lunch, like, maybe weekly with Josh Hawley. Uh, we took a lot of class together. He was two years older than me in law school. I would say in some ways was a mentor for me when I was in law school. Uh, and I have I have avoided going after him because uh, I have a lot of information about like who he was then and all that. And I generally try not to be that guy who's airing dirty laundry that like is personal. But, you know, the events of the past few weeks have just like I think for, for you, for your own reason, have, have changed the way I think about him and and just a, my, my relationship with him publicly. And I'll just pause there before I explain where it's taken me, because I know you have your own story as to why you have pulled some punches on him. I mean, mine is. Mine is much less admirable. I mean, to be honest, mine is just every time I talk about Josh Hawley, people are constantly hitting me up like you got to run against him. And and also, I feel like I'm getting people's hopes up that I will when I do that. And um, I don't want to be a senator. It's not where I am in my life. And I like the work I'm doing. And I don't really want to start all that stuff, that buzz. It's not appealing to me. Um, but this is like and, – and on top of that, like to be honest, like there's some things I'm trying to get done – for homeless veterans in my state um, that I, you know, I, I, I don't want to see him for personality reasons, like try and try and, uh, you know, stop. I don't know that he would, but like, so those are my two reasons, but this is like a bridge too far. Like this is just, I can't not talk about it. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. he's my Senator and, and I'm his constituent and I'm so, I feel so just by virtue of that. I, I've never even met the guy in person. I just feel so betrayed because he technically represents me. Yeah, and I'll, I'll put my two cents into this too, which is Josh Hawley is an actor. Uh, he is an actor and he is acting and playing the part of the populist um, that appeals to Trump's base. And he's a person who has always seen himself as a future president of the United States. And his entire life's ambition is getting there. And it's not about what he's gonna accomplish on behalf of people to get there. It's all about his personal ambition and he is willing to do anything, uh, both to himself and his family and what he's putting them through in the process of shape-shifting into a Trump supporter, which is absolutely not who he was back then uh, and uh, is not who he is at his core to the extent there is anything left of his core. Uh, and he's willing to do anything to this country in service of that. 
and he views cynically, and he may be correct, at least in, inside the GOP politics, that the best way to capture the GOP base is to go along with anything and everything Trump says. You know, he's he's all about the palace intrigue around Trump and and satisfying Trump in every possible way. And that's his politics. That is his entire ethics is satisfying Trump. And uh, for me, in watching what he did uh, in, in calling um, for this challenge to the Electoral College certification, uh, I wouldn't say it was a bridge too far. There are many things he's done there too far, but it just was, it, it to me, it just, it, it's too much. And everybody who's ever known this guy is pretty much now come out and said that he's an abomination He's a threat to our democracy. He's a disgrace to the institution that taught me about the rule of law. And he needs to be defeated at every turn. You know what stands out to me about this is that, look, I mean, I, I put Trump and then Holly and Cruz. It's two different categories. Again, because we just, we know what we have with Trump. We know he's a sociopath. We know these things or whatever he is. But these other guys, like, they haven't gone so far down this road that it's not, they, they can't you know, they could still step up and do something. And and we still have some, I guess, limited reason to have hope for that just because we don't have this long experience with them. And so I, I say all this to say, like, the part that they're playing in this is, and the reason we're talking about Holly, for people who don't know, is that this was going on a path where this electoral college thing was just going to happen like it always does. And, you know, Trump was saying, somebody needs to challenge this, but nobody was doing that because everybody was like, well, that'll never work. And also it's wrong. And, you know, we're not going to do that. But then Holly, you know, said, no, this is my moment. I think completely in line with what you're describing, Robbie, irrespective, not even probably giving a thought, I assume, to what the actual results of that could be and decides, no, I'm going to object. And I'm going to create this whole circus. So, yeah, there's responsibility there. But going back to what I said when we opened this, which is that if you are a person who if if it were the reality that somebody were taking over the country and they were doing it illegally, if it, if that were reality, there would be a group of people who would try everything they could to, to save America to do something. I would be in that group. And what kills me about this is if that were really happening, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz would not be in that group. They would never do that. But what they will do is they will they will wrongfully convince people that that's what's happening. People who are uh, who are liable to uh, believe that even when it's not true anyway, because they have all sorts of other, you know, racist and other things, you know, working with them. He'll, they'll take advantage of that, and they'll cheer them on and they'll manipulate them. But they would never be there. And now that they've created that monster, they won't stand up to that monster, and they won't say, you know what, I'm the fraud thing. It's not real because that's the thing. The statements that they've made. Unless you say there was not fraud, there was not cheating, this was not stolen, you're doing nothing more than than continuing to cover your own ass. You're doing nothing to keep anybody from getting hurt. Absolutely. It, it feels just like the most overt performance of cowardice that has led to an act of violence and a historic disregard for democracy and how someone can faithfully say that they are faithfully serving as an elected representative when that's the action they've taken is beyond me. It's even, even if you were to follow the cynical line of logic that makes it a political tactic, it is a stupid political tactic. I mean, so what are the two things that have to make sense for this move by Holly to say this is even smart politically in what is obviously his goal, which is to win a Republican primary for president in four years? Okay, one, you have to be so 
totally detached from the reality on the ground to believe that a, a maneuver, a procedural maneuver in the Senate is what is going to be remembered uh, by people. And you're going to get credit for that in four years in Iowa because you were the one who started a, a procedural maneuver in the Senate. Like, one, that's insane. That's I don't think that's how Trump loyalists vote. I don't think they're paying attention to who who, uh, you know, started. I mean, as we've seen, the, the cable news already thinks that Ted Cruz did this. Howie's already lost that. Uh, so that's first. Second, okay, so what's your long-term play here? You know that either Trump or somebody named Trump is going to be running in that primary. You know that if you're going to beat them, you're going to have to make the argument that we need somebody who can win. And now you've just taken that argument away from yourself because what's going to happen? Like Trump Jr. is going to be like, Hey, man, we did yeah. win. You said we won. You were the one who said that we got cheated. We did win. Like, it's yeah. on top of being immoral and, and un-American, it's also just stupid. And that makes me just a little more mad. Yeah, you know, the Republican Party is North Korea, right? If you're not part of the ruling family, then you're, you're expendable. And Josh Hawley needs to realize that. You know, he's not part of the lineage. So if he's not part of the Trump family... He's not going to be the first in line to be president of the United States. And if it's Josh Hawley versus an actual Trump, an imitation Trump versus an actual Trump, the actual Trump's going to win every time. But what he's doing here is what he accuses the left of doing, which is virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. So he knows that this is bullshit. But what he's doing is signaling to the right, the extreme elements of the right, that he has the virtues that they want, which is loyalty to party above everything else. And once again, like the symbolism of Hollyism and Trumpism was uh, the uh, attempt to bring down the American flag and put the Trump flag up there. That's what this is all about. Not to move off of dumping on Holly, which is warranted, but <laughs> the, the physical actions that took place at the Capitol today, the seemingly minimal response from Capitol security to stop a group of, of rioters from moving in, like dis disrupting Nancy Pelosi's office, getting into the Senate floor, stealing furniture, breaking windows. It's just, it is it, like, my heart is racing. I am genuinely flummoxed to see these images and to think back to just this summer when peaceful protesters and sometimes impassioned protesters were moving through the streets of every single state in the country for the Black Lives Matter movement and how much police violence and force that was met with, the contrast of these images just cannot be emphasized enough that this is a majority white group of people who have desecrated the symbol of American democracy. It is our capital. And that is treated with less severity than a target in Brooklyn. At least that's how it, that's how it looks and to me. And I am finding that that discrepancy, that hypocrisy, just so stark and so horrifying today. No, I, I think you're, I think you're right. It's not just how it looks, it's how it is. And it just, you know, Diana made a really good point to me earlier that this is maybe the best argument uh, other than like the obvious arguments about disenfranchisement. This is maybe the best everyday practical argument for DC statehood, yeah. right? Because just the the fact that, you know, great you, point. you have to rely upon the president 
uh, and you have to rely upon all these elected national people uh, and, and the, those they appoint in order to bring in the guard, in order to take these safety precautions. Like that's not that's not fair to anybody, and that doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and I, I just I, I try not to overuse this because it's cliche and everything, but like days like today, I think are really hard for every American. But I can only speak as somebody who did, you know, put my life on the line for all these ideas that I grew up and we all grew up believing in. We learned them in school. We learned these things about our country that we thought would stay true about our country. Like for me personally, they're really tough because uh, (laughs) anyway, on days like today, it gets really difficult to think about the kind of things that I invested in this, but really just also just a lot of people who I care about who invested in it and got hurt or didn't make it home. And, um, and so it makes me angry, but it also makes me sad. And so, yeah, like the, these symbols and these images, like there's so much more than symbols and images. I, I, I just, I can remember, you know, being in Afghanistan and seeing things and being, and just thinking like, I'm so glad that I would never have to worry about that happening at home. And, and then, and, you know, and feeling like I'm here to make sure nothing like that could ever happen at home. And now some of that stuff happens at home and, and it, it, it's confusing. I mean, that's, that's so hard to, to just hear as someone who, you know, knows and cares about you and, and does, and can't speak to that life experience myself. And it makes me also think about how to just, you know, emphasize the hypocrisy again, you know, Colin Kaepernick took a knee and that was supposedly offensive to the troops, right. but this isn't. Well, well, at least let me, let me add something to that, which is let's pretend that this insurrection didn't happen. Right. Let's talk about what's offensive to the constitution. Um, while this was going on, right. As the mob was overrunning security and I have no reason to think Ted Cruz knew at the moment that this happened, uh, that the mob was overrunning security. Um, he sent out a fundraising text posting about his attempt to overturn the election. Yeah. Holly sent out a fundraising email at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, is what's more offensive, uh, Colin Kaepernick taking a knee uh, or a U.S. senator trying to block the constitutionally required certification results of the will of the American people and sending out a fundraising text while they're doing it? Yeah. So I think we've appropriately channeled how a lot of people are feeling. Um but our role here is to, is to, I think, is to also not just leave people, because we're not going to leave feeling shitty. Like we, I, I don't intend to. I intend to go on a run after this and to think about positive things. Um, so let's talk about some positive things. Uh, let's see. We're recording this on the sixth. So in fourteen days, um, these people are out of power. Uh, like. And not just like usually we say that and we mean like, well, the White House, but no, like actually all of all of the people we have discussed uh, are 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 going to have a tremendously smaller amount of power and influence in what happens in the country than they do right now. That's my reason to feel good, not just because like, oh, it's in 14 days, this gets better. But like that's because the system does, you know, this is a real dark spot, but the system does still work like. We, you know, the president tried to 
call the Georgia Secretary of State and say, find me votes. He tried to do all sorts of things. And none of that worked, even in a country that they've been in complete, pretty much completely in charge of for four years. That is a reason for optimism and hope, I think. You know, and for our listeners, we recorded a podcast this morning uh, with, with Michael Tubbs, and, uh, who's you know outgoing mayor of Stockton, and we were celebrating the Georgia Senate results. I was and, singing. Um, we're gonna, and he was singing. Uh, and we're going to post that on Friday, in all likelihood. Uh, and I'm going to come back to that spirit, which is, uh, as depressing as this is, they, they are not going to take this away from us. Uh, we started this effort against Trump, and I actually met you, Jason, and Tubbs on the same day in December 2016. And we all came together uh, across different ideologies and beliefs and demographics to take on Trump and Trumpism. And over the past four years, we've taken him out of the White House, uh, which will happen in two weeks. Uh, we won the House, held the House, and we've now uh, won the Senate. And I'm going to celebrate that. I'm going to continue to be grateful for all the people who put in hard work on that. And uh, even though we know that the work is going to continue and, and maybe as hard or harder in the future, we won some major victories and they can't take that away from us. Uh, and we're going to continue to win. Uh, and, you know, I Lord knows they're going to have a hard time. Some people dealing with the, the will of the American people. But, you know, our coalition is going to continue to grow and prosper because uh, we're on the side of the Constitution. We're on the side of the rule of law and inclusion and uh, respect for all people and their voices. And I just think that uh, that our we will win this. It's just going to get ugly from time to time. And and I guess that's what it means to be American is to be able to fight through those types of battles. Uh, and I'm, I'm rededicating myself to it. Grace. For me, what today does that I think ultimately can serve, serve us all is that I think that the comfort of the, Oh, that will never happen here has lulled America into a sense of complacency in regards to our democracy and our democratic institutions that Trump has rattled. And I think that that complacency has also fueled very reckless action by a lot of conservative media and created these echo chambers and information bubbles where people are truly living under two different sets of facts. And what I think today did is kind of smashed one bubble into the other in terms of a shared reality and while not everyone agrees on the reason why something is happening today, um, it's painfully clear, I think, that we, we have a crisis and that we have to address this uh, communication divide. And so where I become hopeful is that there are shows like this one that are aiming to do just that. And I think helping people who are in a position to start to bridge this divide uh, do so successfully. So I'm going to take my optimism from you two. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th I think that's really well said. Like the point that it should only strengthen our resolve to want to enhance the ability to communicate with people. Like I'm not saying obviously that we're saying you need to go communicate with people who are breaking into the Capitol. I'm saying, but this is an inflection moment that should make everybody open to hearing, hey, this isn't to be messed with. This, it's not to be messed with. You know, I, I, I was texting with 
Stacey Abrams last night and, and I, like a lot of people, I was just like, I love you and thank you, you know, and, and we were texting back and forth and I, and I, I said to her, I said, by the way, thanks for saving America was getting kind of hairy for a minute there. And, uh, and, and I'm kidding, right? Like, obviously it was getting kind of hairy and she jokingly just like gave me the wink back, like no problem, you know, but like, it's not a joke. It, hopefully this is as close to the brink as we get, or this is the whatever, but it's a reminder, uh, how important it is that we win over all of those persuadable people and that we do expand this majority. Um, and, uh, and that, that there's no finish line that you can win the Senate, you can hold the house, you can win the presidency and you can be really excited about that. And we are, but in American politics, there is no finish line. You just keep going. It's just a relay that just keeps going and you don't get to take a break winning or losing. So I, I, this has been a wonderful group therapy session. Thank you both. Uh, I appreciate it. I hope people get something out of listening to it. I'll, we'll just leave it there. Remember we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Hi listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.